This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny local enterprise offices for business, financial supports and mentoring services. For more information, see localenterprise.ie. Hello, good evening and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 7 o'clock. On the programme this evening, we'll be bringing you the story of 100% natural local soap. Uh, The owner of the Bow Bar Soap Company, Gail Daniels, will join us to talk about how an idea she got during COVID came to be a rapidly growing business supplying soap made from nettles, among other things, and catering for market segments from people with eczema to grease and oil covered mechanics. We'll be hearing from CR Payroll, a company we first talked to during COVID who earlier this week announced ambitious expansion plans which will see their number of employees grow from 40 to 80 in the next 18 months. And Thomas Serkovich, CEO of Business in the Community Ireland, will be joining us to talk sustainability, corporate social responsibility and diversity. But first joining me on the line is Lorcan Allen, Business editor of the Business Post. Good evening, Lorcan. Good evening, John. How are you getting on? It was quite some time ago we talked. I think it was in January, if memory serves me correct. The time is flying by and it's an eventful time in business and the economy. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, there's a lot going on, obviously, in the world at the minute. I think I heard one CEO this week to say describe it as that the world is a very complex place right now. But um, despite all of that, and inflation and everything, rising interest rates, the Irish economy continues to do very well, um, which is great, I suppose, for, um, you know, businesses and, and people working here that uh, we're weathering a lot of the storms that are out there at the minute, John. Yeah, it's amazing, really. And the um, corporate tax return is truly eye-popping. Just break it down a bit. And we're, we're, we're kind of putting all our eggs in one basket is, is the wrong way of putting it. But we're very dependent on a small number of companies. But that's good, too, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Um, I suppose something that's it's become very noticeable over the last couple of years um, is the growth in Ireland's corporate tax take, which is you know the tax that we get on profits from corporate businesses, uh, from small SMEs right up to multinational companies. Um, and like historically, it was always known that a lot of the corporate tax came from the big multinationals that are here uh, with operations in Ireland. But the fact that it's the number is growing so much. Um, so last year, Ireland, the government would have taken in 22.6 billion euros in corporate tax. It's headed for 24 billion this year. Um, and to give some context, it's only a decade ago and Ireland, it was only 4 billion was the figure. So it's, it's you know, gone up fivefold yeah. in the of a decade. Um, and, Okay, it's a lot of money. It's a great position for the government to be in to have this sort of excess uh, revenues coming in. It gives them a lot of options uh, with all the challenges that are out there from housing to, to infrastructure. Um, but but the, the fact that it's so concentrated, some of this money, 10 companies pay over 60%, around 60% of all the 24 billion euros. And those are the big, big multinationals here. Um, it's Google, it's Apple, it's uh, Microsoft, and a lot of the pharmaceutical companies that have our operations here, like Pfizer um, and others. Mm. So it's, it's a risky play. You know, there are thousands of businesses in Ireland, but when 10 of them account for 60% of your revenues, there's a big risk there. Um, yeah. 
to be fair to the government, they are aware of it and they're trying to plan, but it's um, it's a strange headache to have, I suppose. Yeah, and it's interesting in the context of, you know, dire prognostications over the years that if the corporate tax rate was touched, they'd all fly out. Um, taxes are being harmonised worldwide and it seems to be going in the opposite direction. Ireland actually has been a big winner out of some of the, the tax reforms that have happened over um, the last that, that process that's been going on for the last number of years. Um, and because of the, the kind of reforms that are there, these companies are having to pay more tax and they're having to pay the tax where their headquarters are, are resident. And a lot of them have resident, um, you know, their international um, headquarters are in Ireland. Yeah. The Irish government has been a beneficiary of that. Now, there are further changes coming down the line where which say that these companies, you will have to pay the tax wherever you earn the profit. Um, and obviously that will mean the tax should migrate to the bigger countries with bigger populations. We'll say if you're Microsoft and you're selling a lot of software in the country, yeah, or software, um, you pay the tax there rather than it going back to Ireland. Yeah, and while so Ireland is our avid users of Google, we're hardly generating that much uh, from Google correct, correct. in Ireland. Yeah, And it's 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 likely, now that, that process is still ongoing. It's very political. It's probably five to six years away before that those changes are brought in. So for the next decade, foreseeably, Ireland is, you know, set to reap some enormous benefits from these these corporate tax windfalls. I think the, the Department of Finance brought out um, a forecast last week, and they're forecasting that by 2026, which is only three years away, uh, our corporate tax will be 27 billion. Wow. So it's nearly closing in on income tax, as it's already become the second largest tax category for the government. It's, it's passed out VAT, uh, which obviously is a very, you know, that's taken on everything that's sold, and it's now the second biggest, and it's not far behind income tax that the government levies on all of our paychecks. So um, it's extraordinary what's happening at the minute, and, and it means Ireland is a kind of, the government is awash with cash at the minute. Yeah. Um, while, you know, all that corporate movement is into Ireland, there is some movement out of Ireland. Uh, some further detail on some AGMs this morning, uh, you were telling me earlier about uh, a blow to the Dublin stock market. Yeah, there's a very interesting, uh, for any of your listeners that have, have shares in Irish companies, I think there's a lot of interesting moves happening now among Irish listed companies. So t- this morning I would have been at the, the AGM of CRH, which is uh, Roadstone Holdings, the construction company, the largest company on the Irish Stock Exchange by far. It's worth over 30 billion euros. Um, and CRH is planning to leave the Irish stock market. It's told its investors uh, already that it's it's planning to move to the US. And um, its its strategy is that they want to, the, the US market is where they make most of their money. 75% of all its profits come from the US market. And it says we're based, they, the CEO, Albert Manifold today said, we're basically a US company. So we're going to move our stock uh, market listing to the the uh, New York Stock Exchange, um, and it was like, why are they doing that? What's <clears throat> what's the reason? Well, President Biden is enacting this um, infrastructure bill at the minute. There's billions and billions of U.S. taxpayers' money being pumped into new roads and infrastructure in the U.S. And CRH is the biggest construction company in the U.S. wants to take advantage of it, but Biden has been very explicit. This is going to be American expansion for American companies. So CRH is trying to become more American. So will that be so one of the last uh, AGMs of CRH in Dublin? 
No, the company says it's going to stay headquartered in Dublin, um, which makes sense because if it's paying tax here, the tax rate for companies here is lower than it is in the US. So it, it will keep its headquarters here. Mm. But I suppose what, what it signals, though, is a, a problem, though, that's a wider problem where CRH are leaving the, 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 the Isaac Index, as it's known, the Irish stock market. But also other big companies are, are looking to do the same. You've any others or any... Yeah, Flutter Entertainment, John, which is like obviously owns Paddy Power. That's already said as well. It's planning to move to the US. Um, and those moves, you know, they're two big players to leave the Isaac. And if, as people are saying, well, what does this mean for the future? Are there any other companies? And one company that has been, you know, linked with a potential move is is a company that your listeners will be very familiar with, Glambia. Mm. Um, again, you know, it, it makes an awful lot of its profits and sales in the U.S. market. It actually, if you look at Glambia's um, results for this year, they've started to report their financial performance in U.S. dollars wow. because the U.S. market is where they're they're it's their most important market and that's exactly what CRH did a few years ago they started reporting their numbers in US dollars and now here they are moving to the US stock market there's been quite a bit of speculation that Glombia could do the same also Kerry Group the other big uh, food company that's on the stock market the US market is absolutely crucial for its um, you know as part of its business and there's been speculation maybe that they could also move so you know the companies are growing they're very big but it's obviously a loss to the Irish uh, shareholder investor when these companies aren't going to be listed in the Irish stock market anymore. Yeah, finally, uh, last time you were on, we were talking about offices. You know, we weren't, we were still kind of, COVID wasn't that far in the rearview mirror. It's a long way in the rearview mirror now. Is Dublin getting back to normal with offices or where do you see it? Well, it's it's a funny time, um, John. I think there was a report out last week by one of the estate agents and a very interesting reading. I mean, the vacancy rate in offices in Dublin now is up to 15% or it's, it's forecast at 15% this year, which is the highest it's been since the crash, probably. Um, and on top of that, there's this new phenomenon called grey space. Um, so 35% of all the, the office space in Dublin now is deemed as grey space where we'll say a company had said it was going to take an entire floor of a building because of remote working it doesn't need all the floors so it's kind of subletting some of its space to other companies and you've got this uh, really unusual event where the demand that was there before COVID isn't really there anymore and uh, companies that have signed agreements are trying to sublet some of the space to try and make, make money back on it yeah. but but things are starting to change as well um, as, you know I think there's a bit of a balance of power shifting remote working uh, has been very strong so far because employees have had a, you know the power has been with them in terms of how tight the labour market has been. But as the labour market begins to, you know, there's less strength in it. Maybe yeah. you can see companies are already starting to say to, to employees like, "We need you back in the office. We want them. We're paying for all this office space." We want you to come back in. So it's going to be a very interesting year to see how that unfolds um, uh, in terms of, you know, the office market has obviously worked quite a lot of money as well. So it'll be, um, they're, they're very valuable assets and people will want to see them used. Yeah. So a lot of moving parts, uh, good news, challenges, and a lot of dynamism. Lorcan, great to talk to you as always. That's Lorcan Allen, business editor for the Business Post. Thanks, Lorcan. we talk to you again soon. Thanks, John. That's uh, Lorcan Allen, as I was saying there. We're going to take a break and we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about soap. Carlo Kilkenny, KCLR. 
You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Lord. John Purcell with you until 7 o'clock now. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by a lady whose business creates utterly delightful 100% natural soap from her base between Kilmagany and Piltown in South Kilkenny. It's Dale Daniels, owner of Bow Bar. Gail, uh, good evening to you. Good evening, John. Thanks very much for having me on. It's great. Now, tell us about your business, the idea, and how you brought it to market. Yeah, well, I suppose it all started uh, when my eldest was, I'd say, probably around two or three. She suffered quite badly with eczema. So, as any parent with a child that suffers with eczema, I tried lotions and potions and uh, did all sorts of research into how to help alleviate um, the condition. Uh, So, I'd read that uh, goat's milk soap was meant to be very beneficial. So, I set about to try and find a bar and I couldn't for love nor money. Uh, so eventually I found a bar in a health food shop in Kilkenny. Wow. And when I read the label, it said it was from Australia. Right. Quite so, a distance away. Yeah. So I thought it was a bit strange with such a thriving agricultural industry here that we had to import bars of soap from the other side of the world. Uh, so I presumed that soap was made in a laboratory by a scientist with a master's degree uh, who had specialised equipment. Uh, so I didn't really think anything of it. Yeah. And then as uh, social media and the internet start doing, sort of sending you subliminal messages about handmade soap courses and, uh, you know, sort of how to make your own soap, I then read an article from, it was actually on a farming forum, that there was a woman in America who was making it, uh, making soap out of her own cow's milk. So I thought, oh, wow, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you were kind of thinking goat's milk. Yeah, well, I'd never heard of cow's milk before, so I just sort of presumed you couldn't do it. Mm. And what's Uh, usual soap made out of? uh, Well, it's usually... Sort of what I use the milk for, they usually use water. Right. So it's just a, a water replacement. Okay, so you were starting to think maybe there's something in this. Yeah, yeah. So then I sort of put it to the back of my mind with sort of a busy farm and household and everything to run. Uh, so it was only sort of when COVID hit that I had a bit of extra time on my hands. Uh, at that stage, I had three children, uh, four, two, and I think the youngest was around seven months when the first uh, lockdown hit. Uh, so I suppose for my own mental well-being, I decided to carve out a niche in my brain to just sort of concentrate on, um, you know, that wasn't nappy changes or Mr. Tumble or arts and crafts or, you know, sort of a bit of grown-up thinking. Yeah. Uh, So from there, I just started researching and went down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos and then I did an online course in soap making and eventually I made a bar and then I kind of got hooked on it. Wow. So Um, you made your first bar of soap, literally. Yeah, yeah. And then it just sort of 
tumbled from there. I started playing with ingredients and, you know, different scents and different colors and the different properties and, uh, you know, the different elements that you can use. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. Uh, when you get into it. And you, you said your interest in soap or your, your search for uh, a suitable soap developed out of your search for something that your daughter who had eczema could use. Were you aiming at that segment of the market or were you just trying to corner a part that was just natural and organic and, and wouldn't contain additives that would exacerbate things like eczema? Yeah, well, with any sort of product that you're using on skin, you have to do, um, it has to be safety so uh, with part of the safety assessment, you can't make any claims that, you know, this bar of soap will not cure you of anything. It can wash your hands. So I was going down that route. I sort of started mainly to make my own for my daughter. And, um, you know, some people have found it very beneficial and other people... Um, sort of there's so many different skin conditions uh, you can't sort of hit all of them Mm. Uh, so I sort of my main thing was I wanted to be natural I wanted to uh, sort of represent you know Irish produce I wanted to you know not sort of have neon pink colours and um, you know anything sort of uh, fake or fabricated about it. Yeah. Um, and you launched Bobar in December 2021. Probably a good time to launch in the run into Christmas. But how did sales go? How did you go about getting the bars in the post, presumably? Yeah, well, it was a bit manic. Um, I'd sort of, I'd done, you know, the years of research and, the, you know, thinking of the name and the logo and the packaging and all of the and pieces that go into it and so sort of the marketing I got a bit stuck with so I went to the local enterprise board and I got uh, they do a mentoring scheme so I was able to talk to another adult and uh, he was very helpful he was able to sort of give me costings and sort of you know remember that you're using electricity so you need to take that into account and you know all the bits that I wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. Um, so that was great. So I eventually got everything. Because with COVID, the, um, everything was delayed. So I had planned to launch in sort of September, uh, but everything was delayed. My safety assessments were delayed. The uh, packaging was delayed. The labels were delayed. So I eventually got everything in sort of November, and I said, right, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. I'll talk myself out of it. Mm. Uh, So we launched in, I think it was the 4th of December. Mm. Uh, So I just launched Facebook, and my husband advertised for me on his Twitter account. And with that, I sold was 798 bars of soap in 13 days. Wow. That's some amount of traffic on your website, presumably, and through your social media. Yeah, it was a bit crazy because I'd only wrapped a couple of bars of soap because I'd only just got the packaging. And I sort of said, oh, sure, I'll wrap as I go. Do you know, it will give me something to do during the day when the children are at school and creche. Wow. And it was just... So did you have to wrap 798 bars of soap? Hardly individually. Yeah. It was um, a few late nights. 
Wow, you must be a world-class rapper at this stage. Oh, I tell you, professional as they go. <laughs> well, look, um, I read that you have nine different bars now, and I'm looking at your website, which has got a, a suitably bovine theme, Bobar Soap. It looks really well, kind of a Frisian vibe off it, if I wouldn't be mistaken. Yeah, yeah, well, that would be who we're representing, I suppose. We'd be a mainly uh, Frisian herd here. Yeah. And uh, tell me about the mechanic bar, uh, the bar of soap, the mechanic, I presume that's... Yeah, so the mechanic bar was developed for my brother-in-law, Roy, who's uh, he's a welder by trade, and by evening he is uh, taking apart tractors, uh, so he mainly goes around with black hands. So I asked him what he wanted, and he wanted a bar of soap to clean his hands, and he wanted it to be red. So with natural ingredients, you can't get red. You can get orange. So it's an orange soap, which I use um, paprika infused in the oil to get the color. And then I add uh, puma stone to sort of give it a bit of a grit to get the the oil yeah. on the sand. Yeah, and sourcing local material is very important to you. Yeah, well, I try to source as local as I can. Um, there's the Honey and Oats Bar. I use the uncle-in-law's honey, who's halfway down the hill. Uh, I use Irish oats. Uh, in the Gardener Bar, I use Irish carrots, uh, also grown in Kilkenny. Um, then I've got a nettle bar, which I... Uh, <laughs> I Pick your own nettles. The back, bottom of the garden. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Where can people check out Bow Bar Soap? So I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and I've got uh, the website. It's bowbarsoap.ie. So B O B A R S O A P. Uh, and yeah, hopefully coming to. Uh, I'll be around at different agricultural shows during the summer and uh, sort of setting up meetings with different shops to uh, see about being available sort of um, yeah. over the counter. Well, look, Gail, it's a pleasure talking to you and great to hear about another COVID lockdown business coming to pass. Best luck to you and everybody in Bobar Soap. And do uh, check out Gail's website. Uh, some lovely stuff on it I can vouch for. And thanks for joining us on The Bottom Line. Thank you so much for having me. KCLR. You're very welcome. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 7 o'clock this evening. Now, good news during the week with the announcement that Kilkenny-based CR Payroll Solutions are adding 40 new jobs uh, to their company headquartered in Kilkenny. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Helen Dooley, who's Director of Sales and Marketing with CR Payroll Solutions. Uh, Good evening to you, Helen. Good evening, John. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, well, look, uh, we had uh, your founder, I think, Mairead Coughlin, on the programme, I think just last year, and she was saying you were going well. But this is a major red-letter day for the company, uh, the announcement during the week of 40 new jobs. It is indeed, and we really are delighted. Um, I would say the entire team for us, it is a very much a team effort for us, which has driven this success. Um, and that really is down to the calibre of our people mm. for that success. So we are really delighted and it is very much a team effort. Yeah, tell us a bit more about the company. Um, I think the clue is in the name, Payroll Solutions. But for the uninitiated, what does that mean and what do you actually provide? So we were actually the first to market in Ireland and the UK with emergency payroll cover. Now, this gives you access to an experienced payroll specialist within a two-hour SLA. 
Now that person already has knowledge of how your payroll actually works and is using your payroll software and your processes. Now since then, John, and since you've even spoken with Maraid, we've we've expanded our support to include project support where there may be a payroll element and um, payroll process reviews. And this is one that is um, becoming very um, popular at the moment is vendor selection process. So that looks like changing your actual payroll software and the entire process revolving around that. That's quite popular at the moment. So basically you guys come along and you're a partner with the company really in providing the payroll. So if memory serves, when I was talking to Mairead last, it was like if someone gets COVID and they can't come in and do the payroll, you can seamlessly continue. That was your basic projection at the time and, and you're expanding on that. Exactly. And what we do is support um, our clients in either, you know, getting those a system that suits their payroll processes or making sure that their payroll people have, I suppose, the basics of um, employee benefits, which is taking annual leave. So from a payroll person's perspective and um, they're, you know, organising their annual leave around the payroll calendar, they can never take holidays at certain times of the year or sometimes if they do take holidays, it's, they're coming back to, I suppose, a bit of a mess to actually clean up. So from time to time, they just kind of dread the holiday period themselves. Um, So for us, it's about coming in and partnering with them, knowing what their payroll looks like, the intricacies and the complexities of the payroll, and then allowing that payroll person, whether it is for annual leave or to do something else within the business, From a payroll perspective, the amount of data that's actually available to a company um, from a payroll perspective and from an employee perspective is massive and it can be an untapped resource um, that can actually improve employee benefits and um, do massive cost savings for a company as well. But allowing your payroll person that time to delve in and to, to do more strategic work means that they need backup then for their BAU or their day-to-day processing. Yeah, and you had the Minister for Financial Services in, Jennifer Carl McNeil, uh, during the week who officially uh, made the announcement. You've come a long way in quite a um, short period of time. You know, this is going to bring you to 80 employees over the mm. next 18 months. Tell us a bit about the genesis of the company and how you've expanded so quickly. We've expanded so quickly, I suppose, about using the transparency for us is key, um, as well as trust. Transparency from a perspective of whether you're a new employee that is looking to come and work with us or you're a client or a prospect that is coming looking to work with us. From the moment you start, start talking to us, it's that transparency. We will not tell you that we will deliver on something that is not going to be delivered. Quality of service is key, and that is driven then by the calibre of the people that we have and the experience that we have. Currently, with our payroll people, we have over 400 years of payroll experience. But in, included with that then, or supporting that, is accountancy, HR experience, finance experience. So it really is the depth and experience of the people that we have is really driving the business. Give us a sense of the the size of the market that you're in. I know the UK is an important market for you and some of these jobs will be going to the, the UK. How big can you get, do you feel? I feel that there is no actual, um, I suppose there is no, nothing that can stop us. It's basically the people that we can supply in from a payroll perspective. So every company 
has a payroll element to it. For us, it is typically about 150 employees upwards because from a payroll perspective, you can have a payroll that has one person on it. You can have a payroll that has 100 people on it, but the one with one person on it or one employee can be as complex as the one that has 100. So very much it is about the payroll people and increasing I suppose as well the understanding of what payroll looks like um, in the wider society. Mm. So a lot of people would think oh, your payroll is just the push of a button. That's all you do. You put a load of numbers in, that's it. You push a button and a bank file is produced. It is so much more complex than that and it, experience is needed um, to be able to support that and that's what we we get. And trust is hugely important because there's hardly more sensitive information uh, than payroll information for people as well. Where are you going to get um, the employees? We hear a lot about the tightening of the labour market and how hard it is to get people. Are you confident uh, there'll be a lot of interest in these positions? Very confident because I suppose what we do is um, we live what we say we will do. So the culture, the company culture, they said is really, really important to us. From a payroll specialist perspective, we're on an ongoing recruitment cycle. So we have two people starting again this month. So it is constantly increasing. So to have the support of EI and originally back in the day from Leo in Kilkenny as well, it's been phenomenal and to have that support now to support those jobs and to have them with the headquarters in Kilkenny, which as well has been fantastic to us with our amazing offices in McDonough Junction and the support locally has been amazing. Technology must be huge as well because if you're interacting with companies um, you know, throughout the country and even uh, beyond to the UK, uh, presumably a lot of that's been done remotely. Your sales and marketing director, are you on the road a lot or does technology Technology kind of take care of a lot of that nowadays. It has massively changed. I think back in the day and that that day in March when everything shut down, I think we were forced into something that was coming anyway. Um, from a technology perspective, people now because they're used to using Teams or Zoom or whatever um, meeting functionality or, or software they use. They've gotten used to speaking to people through it. Yes, there is. Um, it's lovely to meet people. And we're actually at iPath conference um, on Thursday in Crow Park. We had a session with CIPP in London last month. And it's lovely to meet people. But I think people are, are choosing to go to those conferences rather than having face-to-face meetings, which they can do 15 minutes for us over Teams can facilitate just the exchange of knowledge that we need to to see whether we are fit with our our prospects. Yeah, now I talked about the UK market and Ireland, of course, but uh, the company is ambitious to establish itself as an international brand. What are your plans in that respect? So from that perspective, we actually, from a support perspective, we do processing for UK and Irish payrolls, but we actually support global payrolls also. So you can have a company that has a foothold in Ireland, but is actually global and in the UK as well. So we do already have a lot of global clients that we are supporting. Yeah, and presumably, or am I right in saying that, you know, maybe you'd expand into other languages. Presumably you're just in English at the moment, but if if you have global ambitions, perhaps that's an avenue you'll be looking at it possibly will but we'll probably discuss it with the team first John before we make a decision like that <laughs> go on we can announce it another exclusive for the bottom line um, <laughs> that's it that's it I, I um, jest but um, <laughs> you know what are the challenges of growing a company so quickly 
suppose the challenges are keeping the team um, to, you know together and keeping that team effort um, going um, but I suppose what you can see is not take it from me but have a look at our LinkedIn and we do meet the team posts on a regular basis and that is people that are not forced into um, doing any of these posts but actually contribute um, themselves and say that for them what it is about is this, I suppose again those those phrases of the it's a family it, it feels like a family and that you really are a part of the delivery of it all and it's very much from a from a payroll specialist perspective but also from my team as well from our data team our marketing team and the sales team as well that everybody contributes to every client connection that we make um, I think as well from the team perspective they love the variety so because you're working on different payrolls at different times and different clients at different times when you're an in, in-house payroll specialist you don't get that variety and that's what they love Well Helen uh Congratulations to you, uh, Mairead, and everybody in CR Payroll Solutions. It's been a red-letter week for you, uh, and we look forward to following your development over the coming months and years. Thank you very much, John. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. KCLR indeed, just coming up to nine minutes away from seven o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until seven o'clock. Great to bring you good news and good to chat to Helen Dooley of CR Payroll Solutions before the break. More good news. Uh, delighted to share with you that Kilkenny-based Clune Tech has been recognised with the Champion Wellbeing Strategy Award at the Irish HR Champion Awards recently. Well done to everyone there. Clune Tech, of course, uh, established by Terry Clune. Uh, the uh, great entrepreneur and just a quick plug it'll bring us nicely into our next item about a programme that you can listen to every Wednesday on KCLR called Follow the Leaders and of course it meets the people who are making the changes need needed to tackle climate change and that's brought to you by Robbie Dowling with Deirdre Drummy who of course also produces this show on the topic of sustainability uh, and all that good stuff I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Thomas Serkovich who's Chief Executive of Business in the Community Ireland. Um, Thomas you provide resources and support to businesses who may not be able to um, take or have the wherewithal to do so themselves on the sustainability journey. Tell us a bit about commun- uh, business in the community, Ireland. Of course. Uh, thanks, John, and, and good evening, everybody. So, Business in the Community is a, is a non-profit organisation, and what we strongly believe is in an inclusive and a sustainable Ireland. And, and in order to achieve it, our role is to help business drive that journey, and a journey that many years ago would have been all about you know, giving to charity or uh, switching off lights uh, when leaving behind you today is a critical survival game for any business of any size. And it's pretty much about what I call the four A's, which is ambition, so understanding where you want to go, how 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 much you want the purpose of your business to be about uh, uh, being sustainable. So it's ambition, it's action, so taking concrete action. Accountability, which is uh, holding ourselves in terms of, do we say we're going to try and reach net zero, how far we are from that or not. And, and advocacy, which is about using the voice of business to try to make change happen within society, because it's not good enough for one business to be excellent. We need the whole business community to be very involved in this. And how's Irish business doing on the journey, as you call it? 
Well, we have been working for the last four years, John, in a low-carbon pledge. So 70 of the companies we work with have come together, and they have pledged that no later than next year they're going to set targets based on science. And this means that it's the targets that are most aligned to what science says will be necessary to uh, not surpass the 1.5 degrees of warming. So companies are on a journey. This is not the easiest, but it's about transforming their, their, their business model. And um, I'm, I'm glad to report that for the vast majority of those companies, it's not just about doing the good thing, but it's about having a business model that will be fit for the future. And what do you so, find are the barriers? Like, it's great that you're making the progress, but um, we have a long more way to go. In your experience, what are the barriers and how can you help people overcome those barriers to become more sustainable? Yeah, so some of the barriers would be one around the measurement. So you know how much, how many emissions would be associated to your energy or your fuel of your fleet, but indirect emissions, what we call scope three, can be very hard to measure. So that's one, one thing. The second one is buy-in. So more and more we're seeing businesses in, engage with this, but there still is a, is a road to go in terms of, of buying. And the third barrier is around supports. So uh, smaller companies in particular are, are, are concerned about how do we access grants, how do we access uh, guidance and support, what sort of toolkits are, are available. And that's part of the journey that we're trying to hold the hand of companies and accompany them in, 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 in this process. And practically speaking, how do you do that? How do you, as you say, hold the hands of companies? You know, do the company invite you in first and how does the process work? Yeah, basically we work on a one-to-one with with with, with our members, and there's 120 of them, and uh, and and we look at their strategy. We look under the bonnet of their business. Uh, we help them set the targets. We help them look at how they measure, and um, and we advise them in terms of how to communicate and how to articulate that. We look at their procurement practices, for instance, uh, and how they can put more criteria on sustainability on that, how they can engage their own employees. So it's very much about the whole operation of a business and how we can put sustainability lens a- around that. And then it's a forum. Yeah. It's a forum where we all learn from each other. We've only got 45 seconds left, but I know you launched an interesting piece of research today about inclusivity and diversity. Briefly tell us about that. Fundamentally, we uh, wanted to bring the attention of uh, how inclusive Irish workplaces are. And we, we, we disclosed data on how 60 companies are advancing to, towards that. And in some areas, such as gender, we're seeing good progress, 40% or more uh, women in, in senior management across Irish business, which is very positive, but much more to do in terms of disability, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of uh, membership of the traveller community and uh, sexual orientation. So we're on a journey and your company is there to help. Absolutely. Yeah, well, look, uh, I'd love to have more time to talk to you, Thomas, but uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Thanks for joining us. That's Thomas Serkovich, Chief Executive of Business in the Community Ireland. That's all we've got time for this week on the programme. Any comments or ideas, you can email us at the bottom line at kclaw96fm.com. You can listen back to the show. Just search for The Bottom Line KCLR wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to all our guests this evening, Lorcan Allen, Gail Daniels, Helen Dooley and Thomas Serkovich. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show but thanks most of all to you for listening we'll be back next Thursday just after the news at 6 for more stories for and about business in the meantime take care of yourself look after each other stay safe and keep the faith 
That's the bottom line on KCLR with John Purcell. With thanks to the Carlo and Kilkenny Local Enterprise Offices for business financial supports and mentoring services. For more information, see localenterprise.ie.